0: Shalom, in this lesson we would like to introduce our series on Shemitah, the deeper message behind the mitzvah. The term Shemitah in its own right is often very misunderstood. After all, Shemitah arrives only once every seven years. And therefore even those with a fairly good memory might find it very difficult to remember all the necessary HaLachs. Everyone requires a measure of brush up in order to understand exactly what to do during the Shemitah year. For this reason, it's not hard to find individuals, particularly those who reside in the land of Israel, who are unclear as to what Shemitah is all about. If you ask them about the arrival of Shemitah and how they're preparing, you might even get a response with a measure of disdain. One might even hear, oh, don't remind me that Shemitah is coming. Yet why is it? If one takes a quick perusal at the verses regarding Shemitah one will find that the Shemitah year carries with it restrictions regarding a number of things restrictions regarding the way in which one is permitted to work one's field as well as the way in which one is allowed to gather crops that have grown on their own if that is not enough the Torah also requires one to allow anyone to enter into the field that they own to pick fruits from their trees to gather vegetables whatever it might be The produce that one grows and grows accustomed to viewing as their own in their own field seems to be no longer theirs during the Shemitah year. Furthermore, the Shemitah produce has a sanctified status, which means that practically there are restrictions on how one can purchase the produce. There are even limitations on how the produce can be eaten and used. And there's even a point in time when one must remove the Shemitah produce from their home and abandon it, at least temporarily. For this reason, Shemitah for many individuals means havoc in the kitchen. It means making decisions of what types of fruit to buy, hetermechira, oats or beitin, fruit, fruit which is imported from chutzlaret. The decisions are often so difficult that some people even contemplate not eating fruits or vegetables for an entire year. And this is only the part of Shemitah that concerns the consumer. Imagine the homeowner who has a flower garden or maybe even a vegetable garden, even some fruit trees. Shemitah is going to alter his garden needs and place limits on what he can do to preserve and certainly to allow more to grow. But even more so, imagine the farmer, the one whose livelihood is built upon the crops or plants that he grows, cultivates and sells. Imagine a year which is in fact even more than a year without normalized planting and tending to one's crop. How is one to survive? In our day and age, when one's crop no longer supplies only a small village or locale, but one's entire livelihood is dependent upon exporting one's produce to markets all over the world, what do, you do? Can you get a contract to supply fruits and vegetables for only five or six years out of every seven? Shemitah certainly carries with it a tremendous amount of challenges. But yet one should not think even for a moment that the question of Shemitah's observance only applies to those who live in the land of Israel. Even those who live in the diaspora will be faced with the question of how and whether they can purchase the four species of Sukkot, the Dalim, specifically the Etrog, if it is sanctified with kedushat Shvit, the sanctity of produce of the Shemitah here. One might even wonder, can they buy Jaffa oranges that they see in the store during the Shemitah year? Although far less often than for those who live in the land of Israel, Jews throughout the world, not only those who are privileged to live in the Holy Land, will have to deal with the questions regarding Shemitah observance. Due to the questions that arise regarding Shemitah observance, one will often find in cans of canned vegetables or fruit bili tevel orla Allowing the consumer to be calm and to recognize that just as there is no tevel, no untied produce in the can nor orla, fruits of the first three years that are not permitted to be eaten, there is no shvi'it, there is no Shemitah produce in the can. But how could that be? Shemitah is not an iser. Shemitah is not a forbidden type of fruit like tevel and urla. Shemitah is supposed to be so much more. Shemitah is an opportunity. Shemitah is in fact what the Torah says, that the produce of the seventh year should be eaten, which according to many is even a mitzvah a special mitzvah to eat the produce of the seventh year. But due to the restrictions, the beauty of Shemitah has been lost. Shemitah has become, for many, just a bunch of restrictions. However, while this outlook is rather natural, when one is overcome by numerous halachic matters that change one's way of living in the previous six years, but it is totally antithetical to the nature of what Shemitah is all about. The fact that Shemitah has become a burden in the eyes of the community and even an enemy to some is similar to the way in which the weekly Shabbat observance is lost on those who only focus on the restrictions. There are good halachic works in the English language that deal with the answers to some of the questions we posed above. However, I have yet to find a book or series of lectures in English that attempt to uncover the deeper nature of Shemitah and allow one to focus on the bigger picture. Not only the halachic questions of how Shemitah will alter one's mode of living, but how to appreciate and experience Shemitah. How to remove the negative outlook from this fascinating mitzvah. I would like to share with you what I feel to be two of the primary culprits for the prevalent misunderstandings regarding Shemitah. It is these culprits, among others, that we will try to remove and to diminish their powers while discussing Shemitah during these series. The first culprit is the lack of study. Shemitah appears explicitly in at least five different places and contexts in the Torah and according to Rabbi Akiva in a sixth place as well. The Torah's description of Shemitah as well as the centrality of the religious experience that the Torah attaches to it, are indicative of the fact that although well aware of the challenges that one will encounter during the Shemitah year, what Chazal termed of those who fulfill all the dictates of Shemitah, Gibore Koach, individuals who combine the two ideals of Jewish strength, Gvura and Koach, still, notwithstanding the challenges, even a careful reader of the Torah will notice explicit mention of numerous ideals that Shemitah conveys. Shemitah is not just supposed to be a year on the calendar that happens once every seven years, but it is an essential means of imparting fundamental Torah lessons and transforming our overall act, outlook on what a Jewish economy entails. Shemitah deals with questions of how we should look at ownership. What is the proper perspective regarding God's hands and our daily sustenance? as well as uh, many other character-building lessons that are readily inherent in Shemitah. As long as even the basic messages of Shemitah, although explicit in the Torah, remain hidden from the eyes of the public, then it should not be surprising that Shemitah remains a burden in the eyes of so many people, rather than Shemitah being the bearer of a utopian message that the whole world has to hear about. To a certain degree, this first culprit's powers are slightly diminished in our day. Shmita has been placed in the spotlight by a number of organizations who've identified many of the progressive ideals in modern society as being imparted through Shmita. From social justice to ecology to renewable energy, Shmita has gained a newfound prominence among those who want to stress the importance of these ideas. Shmita has become the vehicle, the educational tool to impart the fact that Judaism identifies with and even seeks to educate an individual to these ideals through the observance of Shemitah. Yet, while true that most of these ideals do in fact overlap with Shemitah, the modern understandings of these terms, which clearly doesn't call for anything remotely similar to Shemitah and all it entails, can only highlight certain elements of Shemitah's unique nature, but will fail to capture the whole picture. Despite the similarity and overlap between Shemitah's message and these modern ideals, for Shemitah to be understood and appreciated, one must identify the entire picture of what the Torah had in mind and identify how all the various elements, from the challenging restrictions through the empowering mitzvot, contribute to the beauty of Shemitah. The second culprit for the lack of appreciation of Shemitah is actually the name Shemitah itself. The word Shemitah refers to a release as is the primary and it's the primary verb used in the description of the Torah Regarding shmitat Ksafim, the releasing of loans at the culmination of the agricultural sabbatical year It is there that the term Shemitah is used The Torah says in dvarim Perek mikate sheva dvar hashmita Kobal asher there, regarding the releasing of loans at the end of the Shemitah sabbatical year, the Torah clearly refers to the time as Shemitah. However, although this term appears one other time as well, in the discussion of the Mitzvah of Hakkel, which was performed in the Sukkot following the Shemitah year, one is supposed to gather all the people of Israel together in order to hear the reading of the Torah publicly by the Melech and to have a reenactment of Harsinai. Still, those are the only mentions in the Torah of the description of the Shemitah year as Shnat Hashemitah. True Regarding the agricultural Shemitah year, the Torah tells us, Va'shvi'i tishmetena unetashta Using tishmetena, the verb of shemitah, as an aspect of shemitah. However, a number of Torah commentators understand that tishmetena is actually a reference to shemitah ksafim at the end of the year. Something we'll learn when we analyze this perech. However, tishmetena, shemitah, while an element of the sabbatical year is in fact not its essence. The Torah's main description of the sabbatical year, of the seventh year, is in Parshat Pahar. And there the Torah not only does not even mention Shemitah as a verb, as a noun, as nothing, but it refers to the year by a completely different term. There the Torah says, in Vayikra Parakhafe, beginning of Parshat Pahar, Vayidabe Hashem Moshe Bahar Sinai Leimor, Hashem speaks to the children of Israel and Har Sinai The Torah refers to the seventh year as a year of Shabbat. Shabbat of the land. What the Torah refers to as Shabbat Haaretz. It is this element of Shabbat which is so fundamental to the Shemitah year. And often so forgotten. Evidently, the release of one's ownership, that is referred to as Shemitah, is necessary in order to allow us to experience the Shabbat of the land for an entire year. The Shabbat of the land, although carrying with it restrictions, is not supposed to be restrictive. Vaita Shabbat haaret lachem <laughs> lo'ochla. Shabbat Ha'aretz is supposed to be a time of enjoyable eating, of eating with a new form, newfound sanctity. Yes, just as the weekly Shabbat carries with it restrictions, but it is fairly obvious that one who reduces Shabbat to its restrictions and defines Shabbat of the week as a day of limitation, that they've missed the point. The restrictions are an integral factor in allowing the day to emerge as a sanctuary in time. A day far holier and more, and with more spiritual energy and opportunity than the six days that preceded and the six days that followed. The Midrash makes note of the fact that both Shabbat of the week and the Shemitah year are called Shabbat Nashim. And the similarities and differences between these two times will occupy a good deal of our time on the subject of Shemitah as Shabbat art. However, one of our primary objectives will be to reveal the nature of Shemitah at Shabbat Arts. In the process, we may learn a lot about Shabbat Bereshi, the weekly Shabbat as well. We'll follow the farmer and the consumer from the preparations in the previous year through the various periods throughout the year where different unique halachot of Shemitah take form. As a matter of introduction, the need to reframe one's outlook on the role of the restrictions in Shemitah will be understood by reframing them in the role of Shabbat Bereshit as well. Shabbat of the week. Louis Brandeis, the famed first Jewish Supreme Court justice in America, although not an observant Jew, had an observant uncle. And he writes in his autobiography about the wondrous times he spent by his uncle, Louis Dembitz, And he particularly praised the Shabbat experience that he felt in their home, something which he was unsuccessful in finding elsewhere. He writes as follows, I recall vividly the joy and awe with which my uncle, Louis Dembitz, welcomed the arrival of the Shabbat day and the piety with which he observed it. I remembered the extra delicacies, the lighting of the candles, prayers over a cup of wine, quaint chants, and Uncle Louis poring over books most of the day. I remember more particularly an elusive something about him which was spoken of as the Sabbath piece and which years later brought to my mind a passage from Addison which he speaks of stealing a day out of life to live. That elusive something prevailed, prevailed in many a home in Boston and on Sunday was not wanting at Harvard. Uncle Lewis used to say that he was enjoying a foretaste of heaven. I used to think, and do so now, that we need on earth the Jewish Puritan Sabbath without its oppressive restrictions. Brandeis noted the amazing experience in his uncle's home and how it seemed elusive to him. Although a bright man, he had spent his entire life searching for that day without what he viewed as the oppressive restrictions. But yet, for the very simple reason, he failed to find it. One cannot appreciate or even find, or even come to experience that beautiful nature of Shabbos without the recognition of the fact that the restrictions play a role not to oppress the individual, but to elevate him. It is these restrictions that are so poignantly pointed out by Joe Lieberman, the seasoned senator from Connecticut, vice presidential candidate, in his book, The Gift of of Rest, Rediscovering the beauty of the Shabbos. He describes what it means to be an Orthodox Jew on Capitol Hill and he describes among other things how it is specifically the restrictions of Shabbat which set him free from his little handheld devices. He writes, six days a week I'm never without this little piece of plastic chips and wires that miraculously connect me to the rest of the world and that I hope makes me more efficient but clearly consumes a lot of my time and attention. If there were no Sabbath law to keep me from sending and receiving email all day, as I normally do, do you think I would be able to resist the temptation on the Sabbath? Not a chance. Laws have this way of setting us free. The restrictions of Shabbos that Louis Brandeis could not understand, Joe Lieberman explains, are actually the ticket to freedom. As long as we focus on the difficulty involved in the restrictions. We not only miss the point regarding the Shabbat of the week, but we also make sure that educationally we teach our children and those around us that Shabbat is mere restrictions. If we are able to understand the purpose of the restrictions, then we'll be able to appreciate them as well. With Moshe Feinstein, when discussing why it is that so many Jews, children, of observant immigrant parents to America, who although they witnessed their parents time after time, week after week, with mesirut nefesh, with the willingness to lose their job in order to be able to keep the Shabbos, still many of these children not only did not observe the Sabbath, but observed nothing out of Judaism. Rav Moshe Feinstein blamed this fact on the well-known Yiddish phrase, Schwer zu sein Yid, it is difficult to be a Jew. This phrase was even the title of Shalom Aleichem's famous comedy in 1914, by the same title, reflecting on the difficulties of living as a Jew in the modern world. But Moshe Feinstein felt it important to emphasize the beauty of a Jewish lifestyle over the difficulties that might attend scrupulous religious observance. He's quoted as saying people destroyed their children by always repeating It's hard to be a Jew. But Moshe said, No, it is not hard to be a Jew. It is beautiful and joyous to be a Jew. So long as one views Shabbat or Shabbat Ha'aretz through the eyes of the oppressive restrictions, then one will fail to sense the beauty and certainly find it hard to impart that beauty onto the next generation. In one of his shows, the Moshe Feinstein explains that Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, our forefather, was impressed that after explaining to his wives Rachel and Leah of why he thought it necessary to leave their father Lavan's home, as well as telling them that God had commanded them to do so, the women did not merely respond, "If it is God's will, then we will go," but rather they explained that they must leave. <laughs> Do we still have a share in inheritance in our father's house? Are we not considered to him as strangers? Rav Moshe explains that the response of the, woman, of the women was indicative of the fact that they did not view leaving their father's home as a test of God's or as a chore that they were obligated to perform. Rather, they did not view God's word as difficult for they recognized the benefits of following the will of God. Rav Moshe continues that this is the proper outlook in terms of performing mitzvah. One with true faith in God realizes that nothing is lost by fulfilling God's word. If we keep this faith constantly in mind, then keeping Shabbat should not seem in any way difficult. Rather, it will allow us to inculcate this attitude in our children and be easy to teach them of the beauty of mitzvah. Rav Moshe states... While those who boast about the trials and tribulations they suffered for the sake of keeping Shabbat, in times when it was far more difficult to be a Shomer Shabbat person than it is now, may instill a pride and strength in their children. But they may also be doing them a great disservice. The message they may convey is that it is hard to be a Jew and that keeping Shabbat requires great suffering and endurance. Their children may easily come to think that since they do not have the same fortitude as their parents, keeping Torah and mitzvot will be beyond their power. Their parents' attitude may well discourage them from making the effort to keep Shabbat or to find the time to go to shul three times a day. For this reason, he states that parents must be careful to emphasize the rewards involved in keeping the Torah rather than the difficulties. And even when speaking of the difficulties, they should convey them in a proud, triumphant tone. In this way, they will instill in their children the attitude that for one who has faith, every mitzvah is easy and enjoyable to perform. This is not only true for Moshe Feinstein, a man who underwent extreme trials while in Stalinist Russia, while in Siberia. But certainly for us, who might find it difficult to leave work early on Friday for the arrival of Shabbat pereshi, or find it difficult purchasing the fruits we like during the Shemitah. Understanding how the restrictions of Shemitah are anything but oppressive, but are rather the ticket to experiencing something that otherwise we would never be able to do. Understanding Shemitah as a year of Shabbat will help us with this goal. Yet, while similar to Shabbat in that it's a sanctuary in time, an entire year of Kedush Atzman, of elevated holiness in time, it is clear that this Shabbat Shabbat Aretz is not only a Shabbat in time, but a Shabbat pertinent to a specific locale, to the land of Israel. What does it mean to have a Shabbat of the land? Based on Rav Kook's introduction to Shabbat Aretz, we will offer a glimpse into the centrality of Shemitah, to a nation whose existence was forged specifically in this land. Shabbat Aretz is connected to the land where Avram, our forefather, was told to go to the land which I will show you, the land of Israel. It is there that Avram Avinu forged the brief a covenant with God, which was furthered by a shvua, an oath to Yitra, and then was culminated with a chok, a rule of nature to Yaakov Avinu. This rule of nature, that the Jewish people's destiny is intertwined with the destiny of the land of Israel, is understood when viewing the curses given to the nation which has not fulfilled the god the word of god in parsha to where we are told that the jewish people's exile from the land of israel will be az et shabtoteha, will be the time when the land of israel will be able to experience the shabbatot the Shabbatot aret the shmitot that were not observed properly the simple understanding of the verse as understood by many is that the reason the Jewish people are sent into exile is because they failed to perform the mitzvah of Shemitah proper. This centrality is relative to the fact that Shabbat Ha'aretz, the Shabbat of the land, underlies the unique connection that the Jewish people have with the land of Israel. Experiencing this Shabbat will help us understand more about the land of Israel and even more about ourselves. In addition, in Mir we will deal with the historical challenges that led to different ways of observing Shemitah, from Hetar Mechira through Otsar Beitin. all these ways contributing to the fact that Shemitah observance requires a tremendous amount of understanding in order to be fulfilled properly. Just a story to give a little bit of a better sense of the connection between Shabbat Ha'aretz and Shabbat Bereshit. On Shabbat Bereshit of the Shemitah year 5712 in 1951, the Panavitra Rav, Rav Kahneman, decided to spend the Shabbat on what was then referred to as Kibbutz Shalhevet, one of the Kibbutzim of the Poalei Agudas Yisrael movement who had decided to take on the challenge, not relying on the heter mechira, in an attempt to fulfill Shabbat Haaretz Shemitah in its most simple understanding. In his drasha, the Panovich Urov said that while in the diaspora before arriving in Israel, he had learned about Shemitah without knowing what it really was. And due to the tremendous discussion about the merits and problems of the hetermechira, he claimed that people no longer knew what Shemitah is all about. And they failed to understand what a special and holy mitzvah Shemitah is. And then he told the crowd, Listen well, my young friends. Listen well to understand what Shemitah is all about. When God built the world, created the world, he sanctified one land, that was the land of Israel. Amongst the nations of the world, He sanctified one nation. Am Yisrael ka'am kadosh The people of Israel. Gam Furthermore, regarding time. God sanctified one period of time. The day of Shabbat. What is Shemitah? Eretz Yisrael. Am Yisrael v'Sabbat. Shemitah is a culmination, a combination of these three elements of Kedusha, the Holy Land with the Holy People with the Holy Time. As they ushered in that Shabbat that Rev Kahneman spent with Lichadodi, there was an understanding that Lichadodi was not only for the arrival of the weekly Shabbat Queen, but also as an ode and appreciation for the Shabbat queen that settles for a year on the land every seven years. And legend has it, the Rav Kahneman went around to every single tree in this kibbutz, observing Shemitah, running over to the trees, screaming out, "Good Shabbos Eretz Yisrael! Shabbat Shalom Eretz Yisrael! Good Shabbos, Land of Israel! In our audio shuren, we hope to impart a little bit of this excitement of the period. Our modus operandi will be to analyze a different partial in which Shabbat Ha'aretz appears. Hopefully, with an understanding of the nature of Shemitah as Shabbat Ha'aretz, with an attempt to learn and study, we will be able to not only appreciate, but anxiously await the arrival of Shabbat Ha'aretz. Erev Shabbat Shalom.